All right, we are in a uh, series on making disciples, and uh, we continue that addressing the subject of lordship. Uh, we're looking at discipleship both developmentally and structurally, and so uh, we have the chart, that one that you have is a little more uh, ornate than this, but we began with the idea of um, the foundation being grace. This is really underground. Uh, grace being the foundation that secures us, God's favor. Uh, and then we go to faith, love, and hope. And then we get to the ground level, which is really lordship that we talked about uh, last week. So I just want to keep you there because that foundation, if it's not there, everything we build on there becomes problematic. So the subflooring and foundation of discipleship is grace. That favor which is unmerited. And provides security that God is for us. Because of his grace towards us, he has chosen to love us. And that love, uh, in that love, he has given us great promises which become our hope. We respond to that hope by trusting him. That's what faith is. Trusting him, the one who promised, not the promises. You recall Abraham uh, is tested regarding the promise as to whether he trusts God or he's just after the promise. Um, so Jesus then uh, comes into this as uh, we talk about lordship. Uh, sitting on that foundation of uh, grace with the process of faith, hope, and love, lordship is the uh, basis of God's authority uh, over us in that he is both creator and redeemer. And so we belong to him and he has the authority to command us and to judge us regarding those commandments. By resurrection, first by incarnation, then by resurrection, God the Father has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah and placed all authority in heaven and earth um, under him so that the confession of our faith is Jesus is Lord. Curios Jesus. And the idea of that is that we make that statement to the glory of God the Father. Now Jesus told his disciples and through them, uh, he's told us that a disciple then is baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then is taught to observe all the things that Jesus taught his disciples. Uh, and so uh, that confession that Jesus is Lord uh, means that the Holy Spirit uh, has brought us to that knowledge and to that confession. And that makes obedience to the Lord incumbent upon us. So, last week we talked about lordship in that sense. That lordship is the idea that God directs our path and we walk in those, based on Him asserting His name as Creator and Redeemer. And I said that we would talk today about the struggle of lordship. We've talked about this before. Again, it's important as you're raising your children for them to know that this is going to happen, that it's not simply a matter of making a profession of faith and then everything works out wonderful. Uh, there is a struggle of lordship, a wrestling uh, that goes on. So, the problem with being a disciple under the lordship of Jesus is that obedience through Jesus... Uh, is thwarted by three distinct and related sources of temptations. Uh, I once saw a sign that said, I can resist anything but temptation, right? 
that kind of thing. Uh, these three temptations, these categories that uh, theologians have looked at, are usually referred to as the world, the flesh, and the devil. And each in their own way push uh, and pull us to leave the path of life and holiness which God has called us to. And together they make lordship a struggle. Now, that's an important thing for us to think about. The, um, the religion of Israel is called Judaism. Uh, but the name of the people, Israel, comes from the name given to Jacob in the wrestling with God. And God says, your name will no longer be Yaakov, Jacob, but your name shall be called Israel, to wrestle, to struggle with God and with man, and to prevail. In other words, uh, the whole purpose of that faith is to struggle with God. Um, and we continue that. Our struggle with God is in the Lordship uh, of Christ. So, the path we take under Lordship is a denial of self, a taking up of our cross, and following Jesus. And the world and the flesh and the devil are always present uh, to cause us to miss the mark. That term, miss the mark, is what the Hebrew and Greek words for sin means. It, it means, in a sense, to not quite measure up to the goal. The goal is to walk appropriately on this path of life towards life and not towards the way of death. And we sometimes don't quite walk the way we should walk. Uh, and that is ultimately what the Bible means by sin. And the Bible makes it clear that intentional sin, sin that is pre-planned, which is the goal of your life, the direction of your life, uh, is not forgivable. Uh, unintentional sin is forgivable. And those who are intending to walk with God, those who are wanting to walk in obedience with God, but don't measure up, that is the sin that is forgiven. The intentional sin requires a full repentance and a turning back in the direction of righteousness uh, for it to reach the point of forgiveness. Uh, this idea that we can just continue in sin, that grace may abound, God say, uh, Paul says, God forbid that we would do that. So, the distinction between intentional and unintentional sin is really the direction of our life. Not each individual day. Be really careful about that. There, you can make yourself neurotic as a believer in basically adding up, when, what have I done? What have I done wrong? Uh, am I doing this right? Uh, you, we know the general direction to walk. We should set our life and our path in that direction. That's what the three major commandments are, to love God, to love our neighbor, and to love one another. Holiness, righteousness, and unity, we'll talk about that later. And that is the direction that we set. And even children can be taught that. They may not be able to quote the whole verse, but they know that the three commandments are love God, love our neighbor, love one another. And then later, they can love the Lord our God with all our mind, with all our life, and all our strength. Love our neighbor as ourself. Love one another as I have loved you. They can, they can expand on that and the meaning of that. And again, we'll talk about that later. The problem here is that if our intent is to follow the Lord, we miss the mark when we're tempted by these three sources of temptation. However, the scripture is pretty clear about one thing. So I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 
This is a passage that I talked about when we went through Corinthians. You'll notice we're using a lot of Corinthians in this series. That's why I did the two books before, so that you had the context. Now when we use the verses, you you can see them in, in that broader context. In 10.13, Paul is talking to the believers at Corinth and trying to explain to them that the scriptures are written with the struggles of Israel and the the missing the mark that Israel did, those were, were for our learning. They were there to teach us. And so he says in verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape, also that you will be able to endure it. God has not set us up to fail. He has given us a way to deal with temptation. Now, the problem is, most of us have grown up kind of in a Christianity that says, what's the minimum I have to do? Because I don't want to be in danger of earning my salvation. So let me say what I always say when someone talks about that. Well, if we start obeying God, we're going to think that we've earned our salvation. All right. So I know all of you pretty well. You know me. There is nobody in this room that's in danger of earning their salvation, right? And if we doubled our obedience to God, we would still not be in danger of earning our salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith. Those are those subflorings. At that point that we confess Jesus as Lord, and now we start in the direction of obedience, not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. In other words, I'm now a child of God, I'm going to walk in His ways, but the problem is, there are things trying to prevent me from walking in His ways. Um, Those are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you can take these in any order because they are interrelated. The one closest to us is the flesh. The one immediate to the flesh is the world, And the one behind the world and flesh temptations is Satan. And so they're not, I don't want to trichotomize them overly, but the the dynamics are somewhat different, so we'll look at that. So we're going to begin with the world. Uh, This is following the way of man versus following the way of God. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, you're very familiar with. I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, to the culture, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may demonstrate, establish, prove, sound a little bit like the uh, Amplified Bible this morning, uh, what the will of God is. That which is good and perfect, right? The idea here is that we are to walk in the will of God as his people. And we are not to walk in the will of man. And that would be the battle of culture. Now, what, is, what does a culture do? A culture accommodates the physical desires of the human being. And a culture uh, provides for a way of life, a a lifestyle, a manner of living uh, within a given context. 
And uh, a culture gives one a sense of identity and a pride of living and all of that. That's what culture does. They have shifted since Babel so that there are competing cultures. But the issue is that we are to walk in God's ways, not in the ways of our culture. So I want you to look at a passage that's really important on that. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, we're going to pick it up at verse 15. There's some very rich material in the epistles of John. John says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't love God, and you can't have God's love expressed through you, if your focus is the culture and the world. For all that is in the world, the lusts of the flesh, I talked about that, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Now, really important to keep in mind here what John is telling us. The lusts of the flesh, the appetites of the body, the things that we say, oh, i got to have this or I, I won't live. The lust of the eyes, oh, what kind of life is that? I, I always, whenever I see the lust of the eyes, I think of my old uh, Youth for Christ uh, roommate, uh, uh, Daryl Jansen, uh, uh, loved, loved uh, Corvettes. And he used to say, Lord, I can really praise you in a Corvette. <laughs> and he finally got one. And on his uh, uh, honeymoon, or the first week of his uh, honeymoon, his wife totaled it. <laughs> he got another one. I think that one got damaged too. I don't, think, I don't think he's got one anymore. But the idea is, you know what that is. We see something, we've got to have it. Got to have a certain lifestyle. We've got to, oh, we just need a little more. This will do it. Oh, that, that house better than the one I've got. I've got to do that. There's the lust of the flesh, the stuff that we want. Oh, I've got to have that, that donut or whatever it is. Uh, I've got to have uh, that, uh, that that I see. And of course, uh, with the internet now and with internet shopping, everything looks uh, attractive in that. And then the pride of life. This boasting in accomplishments. Well, man, our culture is all about that. Our culture is about uh, uh, expressing any desire you have physically, any desire of your eyes, and any accomplishment that you can boast of and put on your resume. I mean, that's really what our culture is about. And so what John is telling us is, if you love that, if you give yourself to that, then the love of God is not in you. That's not from the Father, that's from the world. So the battle is, the world is constantly, the culture is constantly pushing us and conforming us and trying to mold us in its image. Uh, and we're supposed to be children of the kingdom and children of God and molded into the Imago Dei, the image of God, and in the new covenant, into the image of Christ. And that image of Christ is not individual, it's us together uh, collectively. Now in Matthew 6, Jesus addresses this uh, pretty clearly. 
This is the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And in that uh, place, uh, he talks about um, this very thing. Uh, Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is clear, if the eye is clear, he's saying, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light that is in you will be darkness. And how great will that darkness be? You cannot serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. Uh, You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This struggle for the good life in the culture, in a culture that begs us to be all that we want to be instead of all that he has created us to be, is a big battle. And it's a major battle for our children uh, because it is just relentless. And I'm noticing it more and more, uh, even at CBU's campus, that that Live your purpose is not live his purpose for you. It's really what do you want to be kind of thing. And uh, it's, it's a little scary. So we have to transform our mind into a biblical worldview, not an American one. And this is the battle with secularism. We've talked about that before. Materialism and in some sense a battle with self. Because that boasting of our accomplishments, that self-promotion, is not self-denial taking up your cross and following Christ. Uh, So, uh, we need transformation by knowing the word thinking in biblical categories, uh, especially the teachings of the commandments. Christianity, however, has erroneously assumed that the problem is the Torah. And somehow, Jesus came to remove the Torah by fulfilling it, but he didn't. He came to destroy the flesh, which brings us to the issue of the flesh. This is the way of the body or the way of the spirit. This is the one that's closest to all of us. Now, the culture is going to feed the flesh and fan the flesh, uh, but the, the drive that we usually have is an internal drive, and that's going to lead us to the book of Romans. Last week I read a section that I wanted to read this week when I quoted the other one and then I had to correct myself. You'll see why I had those uh, connected this time. So in Romans chapter 6, we're going to look at chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8. A little bit of 6, a little bit of 7, and then chapter 8 so that we can see this in in its context. In Romans 6, beginning at uh, verse 10. I think I started with 12 last time. Because I, I was in the wrong book. So let's make sure I'm in the right place. Okay, Romans 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 10, right? There we are. Okay. <clears throat> For the death that he died... He died to sin once for all, 
But the life that he lives, he lives to God. He's talking about Christ. Christ died for the purpose of sin. And he's alive now for the purpose of God. So Paul says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. If you do that, therefore, he says, you will not let sin... Notice that? You will not let sin... That's about intentionality. You will not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin. Notice in Romans 12, he'll say, present your body to Christ. You present your body now to sin. Do not present, your, don't go on, continue in presenting your members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not master, be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What an odd statement. This is the one that's confused a lot of people. You're not under the condemnation of the law. So don't worry about that. But you are now bound to God. Focus on that. Now, this is clever of Paul's thoughts. Because if you are following God, are you going to break his commandments? The answer is no. But if you focus on the commandments, your flesh is going to rise up and give you fits. So, he says... What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as a slave for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either the sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart, that's the inner person, and the mind, to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And have been freed from sin, you are now slaves of righteousness. Wow. Now, how far, how good a slave to sin have you been? How good a slave of righteousness ought you to be? We, we don't think that way. We just say the magic words, now I'm saved. Now God's playing hide and go seek with his will. He's not playing hide and go seek with his will. The scriptures are his will. So he says, I'm speaking in human terms uh, because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness to violate the commandments, resulting in further lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Catch! I want you to catch this. When we sin, we move into greater sin and greater disobedience to the commandments. When we obey in righteousness, it doesn't say we ultimately end up in salvation. It says we end up in holiness. Okay? Because the salvation issue is by grace through faith. This is the what are we becoming? Are we becoming the image of God in Christ 
in holiness and righteousness? Or are we becoming more and more lawless and children of the devil in, in that sense? So, uh, he goes on then and says, uh, <clears throat> that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So, again, none of this obedience is saving anybody. It is what those who are saved whose God's grace has come to them, and they realize what He is calling them to, that they struggle towards that, as a child trying to grow up to be like, like his daddy, in that sense. So now we move to chapter 7. In chapter 7, we're going to move to uh, verse 14. Paul's going to tell us what the problem is. Now, if when we accepted the Lord, God not only caused us to be born again, but transformed our mind and changed our bodies, we'd be basically what the resurrection is going to be, right? We'd be fully in the kingdom. But what he did was, he caused our spirit to be born again. He's telling us to transform our mind. And he's telling us to keep our body in check until... The resurrection. So that means that my mind is caught between a my spirit, which is born again because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, and my flesh, which is still in the old condition that it was before. So, let's read that, chapter 7, verse 14. Now, I know that the Torah is spiritual, but I am flesh... Sold into bondage of sin. What I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. I am doing the very thing that I hate. In other words, he says, I know the Torah and I love the, the righteousness of God. But I end up not doing that, I end up breaking that. If I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. He's not talking about his mind. He's not talking about his spirit. He's talking about his flesh. For the willing is present in me. My mind wants to go with God. But the doing of the good is just not there, because I've got to bring this body into conformity with my mind. For the good that I want to do, I don't do. And I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. We've all been to that place, particularly when you're younger, where you think, I, I must be demon-possessed. I just can't seem to get rid of this sin. I just fall back into that thing over and over. And, you know, what is going on? So he says, If I am doing the very thing I don't want to do, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. I read those commandments and I go, that makes sense. This is good stuff. If everybody would do this, this world would be a great place. Right? 
But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Now, you've all seen the cartoon. Judaism calls it the Yetzer Hara and the Yetzer Hatov. You've all seen the cartoon with the little angel and little devil sitting on the shoulder of somebody. And he's got a decision to make. He's got a choice to make. And one says, you better not do that. If you do that, that's wrong, that's evil, that's bad. And the other one goes, hey, go ahead and do it, right? It's always that kind of voice. Hey, go ahead and do it, right? Sounds like my grandpa Buster all the time. What the heck? Go, go, go for it, right? No, 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 don't do it, right? That kind of thing. And that deal, and they're going, oh, where do we end up? We go with this one, right? So Paul says, that's my problem. And so he says, what we all cry out at times, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Man, how will I ever get rid of this? Now, the danger then is to think like the Greeks thought, if we just get rid of the body, we'll be okay. What we want, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, remember that's why I told you we went through Corinthians, Paul says, we don't want to be naked. Now, it's better to be out of this body, because we don't have that flesh battle, but we want to be dressed in the body which is from heaven, the resurrection body, which will be fully obedient to the commandments of God. I always tell people, if you don't like the commandments of God, you're going to hate the kingdom. You're just going to hate it, right? Because that's when they're going to be totally in full operation. So, Paul then says, verse chapter 8, Well, first, let me finish uh, chapter 7. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God. That's what I've set my mind on. That's what I'm struggling towards. But on the other hand, my flesh is serving the law of sin. Now, I want you to hear this next part, because this is critical. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus... For the law of the spirit of life, that's the one in our mind and in the spirit of God, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Not from the Torah, from the law of sin and death in your members. For what the Torah could not do, weak through the flesh, no kidding, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to condemn sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the Torah might be fulfilled in us who are not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who are according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on flesh is hostile towards God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It can't even find a way to do that. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh if the spirit, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. 
If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give you life in your mortal body as well, his Spirit who dwells in you. Now, he then says we're not under obligation to obey the flesh, we're under obligation to obey the Spirit. Now, the Spirit inspired inspired the Scriptures. God has given us His Word. He's given us His Spirit. By His Spirit, we confess Jesus as Lord. His goal is for us to struggle to in Lordship towards greater obedience and to greater denial of the flesh and denial of sin. Okay? Now, Will we do it perfect? No. But most people don't do anything perfect. Right? If you play an instrument, you hit a wrong note every once in a while. Right? If you're driving a car, you go over a line. You miss the speed limit. Now, you're not intending to do that. Those are unintentional missing of the mark. But your direction is set because you have set your mind on that goal. That's what Paul's talking about. Now, he does this very clearly in a passage in Galatians. So I want you to look there. And I've got to move quickly because I'm taking too much time. In Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, live, behave by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you cannot do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You're not under the condemnation of the law, because the Spirit's not going to lead you into disobedience. Okay? Let me give you one brief explanation of that. If you are new to this country, and you can drive fine, but you don't know anything about the rules. You don't know what side of the road we drive on. You don't know any of that. And you say, I can drive good, but I, uh, I, I don't know what to do. Okay? I can say to you, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to drive my car, and you follow me. And I then will drive within the laws and the requirements, meaning that the person that I am leading will also. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He knows the commandments pretty good. So he'll lead you, and when he leads you, he's leading you in a direction where you won't break the commandments. If somebody says the Spirit of God led them to do something that's a violation of the Scriptures, that is not the Holy Spirit. That's the flesh. So that's what he's saying here. So he says... Now, the deeds of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. The 91 freeway probably has something to do with that. Disputes, dissensions, factions, envies, drunkenness, carousings, and things like that. Which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that you, those who practice, get that word? We keep seeing that word practice. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against those things, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. In other words, let us begin to behave in accordance with that, that drawing of the Spirit. Now that brings us ultimately to the one who's behind all of this, which is the devil. So I want you to look at 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, uh, and we're going to look at uh, the first ten verses. I'll just read them. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And that we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. It does not appear what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. This process is our childhood spiritually, and our adulthood spiritually will be in the resurrection. And we have no idea what that fully is, uh, but we'll be like him. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him, you notice all these words we've been talking faith, hope, love, uh, purifies himself even as he is pure. Now here's the key. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. What's lawlessness? Torahlessness. It's breaking the commandments, right? Because that's what sin is. It's breaking the commandments. You know that He appeared in order to take away sin, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him sins. Now what He means is, practices sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. The person who deliberately sins and just says, I don't really care about that because I've got amazing grace. That person doesn't know God. And we've got a whole bunch of them that think they're Christians. So little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Now, you've practiced a lot of things. How good are you at practicing? When you start out, you suck. Right? And when I started playing the guitar, it was awful. It was painful. Right? Uh, now, now that I, when I practice it, it's not quite as painful. But when you start, it's pretty painful. The issue is what are you practicing, not how well are you doing. Okay? The one who practices righteousness is righteous. That's where he's headed. Just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. And the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed, his word, his spirit abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, it doesn't mean you can't sin in the sense of individual transgressions. It means that you can't take a lifestyle of disobedience to God and call yourself a believer. You're a child of the devil. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. And so again, he's talking about the commandments in that context. Now, Satan tries to get us to believe that we are obeying God when we're not obeying God. 
That's what he did to Eve, right? He took the commandment of God, altered it a little bit, and said, oh, you misunderstood. You can do that, right? Uh, in Matthew, what does Satan do? He's quoting verses to Jesus, right? Hey, you're the son of God, do this. It's written, it's written, it's written. And Jesus came back, putting those verses back into context. Satan loves to pull verses out of context. And finally, we get to the last passage we're going to look at, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And again, this is why we went through Corinthians, because I know I'm kind of proof-texting here, and I want you to see that these are in context. First four verses. I wish you would hear, bear with me in a little foolishness, Indeed, you are bearing with me. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. I'm afraid that the serpent, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus that we didn't preach, or a different spirit that you did not receive, or a different gospel which you did not accept, you might bear with this. So what Satan does is he perverts the scripture. But he doesn't make them look bad. He makes them look like they're consistent with the world. He makes them look like they're consistent with the flesh. So that you can indulge your flesh, conform to the world, and believe that you're obeying God. Now, how do I know that? Look at the end of that chapter in verses 13 to 15. Or in the middle of the chapter, He says, these people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And that's no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Not as an evil one, as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Because their deeds are in conflict with the actual intent. Of the scriptures. So lordship is our confession. And it is our path. And we are being enticed. And encumbered by temptations. Through the world the flesh and the devil. But we must struggle. To obey the commandments of God. By means of the doing of his word. Empowered by his spirit. And reinforced by a community of faith. That understands that. And we're going to look more into that. Next time. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Give us understanding. Uh, don't let us become uh, 